We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash winmoney. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And today we are going to celebrate Marcus Gasol. Uh, as most of you know, the Lakers signed Andre Drummond. And when they did, the plan was and is for Mark to go to the bench and Drummond to start and play significant minutes. And then in the first game that Mark or that Drummond played, the only game that Drummond played, Mark appeared to be out of the rotation entirely. But as uh, chance would have it, 
Brooke Lopez steps on Drummond's big toe, rips the toenail off. Drummond only plays 14 minutes and is out the next few games. Mark comes in at the end of the in in the fourth quarter and he's matched up with Giannis, so he gets beat a few times, but he's making plays. And ever since then, Darius, he's had his best four or five game stretch of basketball as a Laker culminating in a vintage Mark Gasol performance against his old team uh, in 13 points, nine boards, five assists, four blocks. He had five turnovers, which he's had like five, four and five turnovers. He is emptying the clip, right? Like there's a certain uh, rage against the dying of the light. You know what I mean? That uh, like Mark was that dude, man. Mark was the best player on a consistent playoff team for years. There aren't a lot of guys in the league that fit that description, but as you and I have seen, as we've all seen happen throughout the years in the NBA, really good players, as you get older, you know, your role diminishes a little and you're a starter, but you're not the guy that the team is built around. Then you become a bench guy or, or you become, it diminishes to the point where at some point this comes calling for every player, no matter how good. Some Someone has to have that conversation with you and say, you are not in the rotation anymore. Mark has put two middle fingers in the air and said, oh yeah? And I know that there's nobody that appreciates a good oh more than you do, Darius. So talk to me, man. What are you seeing about uh, some vintage Marcus All lately? The game against the Raptors, is there a such thing as like a double revenge game? Like a revenge <laughs> game against, against your former team and then a revenge game against like your own team <laughs> to a certain extent? Look, like the thing that I've appreciated about Mark is that he is just like his brother he is thoughtful and he is honest but unlike his brother he has a bit of a forward-facing mean streak to him like Powell would respond like that 2010 series against the celtics for example i thought was a great example where Powell was very much responding to the idea that oh you think I'm soft? All right, mm-hmm. well, then I'm just going to kick KG's ass, right? Mm-hmm. And, and in game seven, like on the backboards and just I'm going to be that dude. Mark wears that on his chest. He brings that every single day. And it's one of the reasons why I thought he fit in great as a culture setter with Memphis. Like people tend to think that, oh, that was Tony Allen and and Zach Randolph. And but Marcus All was right there. Yeah, it was all of them. It was all of them. They were cut from a similar cloth in that respect. And so the thing I've appreciated about Mark is that in the aftermath of his sort of demotion, he was honest in his first media appearance about being frustrated, about being upset about it. And, and I think You see that now in his play. This is the guy I thought the Lakers were signing. Early on during the season, there was a certain amount of like passiveness to his game. And I feel like Mark has really responded to the current environment of the team, as well as responded to the challenges that are in front of him with the rotation issues and the signing mm-hmm. of of Drummond, right? So so it's like two lanes there and and he's comfortably riding in both in terms of trying to show like I can still help this team and and not only help but be a real positive contributor and a driver of success 
but also just like, look, I can still score it. Like I'm going to be assertive as a passer. He is sort of demonstratively pointing guys in, in to places and trying to direct traffic and really trying to exert a certain amount of will on the direction of the game. Well, that's part of his brilliance, right? Is that is Mike, he's one of those guys that can organize the troops. He's a general. He's one of, you always talk about how he's like, duh, it's basketball. And he's got this, of course it works that way as though we all have a comparable understanding of the game as him, right? But on a team that doesn't have LeBron James right now, that ability to kind of organize the troops really just means so much, man. There have been a few guys since I, the, I, let's just say these last couple of years uh, where I feel like I've been kind of defending uh, in private a lot. And just this year, it's been Marcus Gasol, where early, even early in the season, like what's going on? Uh, like one of my relatives, like what's going on with Marcus Gasol? I'm like, nothing. He's not supposed to score or get a ton of counting stats. Like he just watch the game, you know, like almost in the way that Mark would say it to me. I'm almost like, what do you mean? Are you not watching? Like he's he's setting screens. He's doing dirty work. He's organizing the defense. He's uh, he's helping the helper. Like he's he's doing all of these basketball things to try and help the team win at the expense of his own stats. In in a sense, because he's smart enough to realize that LeBron James is on the floor, that Anthony Davis is on the floor. Like that that was the first Marcus All that Darius described a minute ago. And yes, there was an element lacking there in terms of what we've seen of him in the past. But I think that was calculated to an extent. He. It's it's it would have been, I think, almost an error in judgment to come in guns blazing. All right, guys, Marcus All's here. I know you're the defending champs, but you know, <laughs> now now here's what's up. You know, watch this. So sure, he came sure. in, very much I'm like, the captain now, right? Like yeah, he was like he's not <laughs> dumb. Like he, you know, he came in and that's what he was gonna do. And I think that the the downside of that for the counting stats folks and just the in general, we're, we're like, what's what's wrong? Why is Mark not playing well? Then there was a stretch of the of the season where he wasn't playing as well, legit. Like whether it was that he wasn't hitting shots and he what uh, and he he was fatigued, whatever it was. Uh, that so that there was a smaller part of the season then, and then more recently, I think Pete described it perfectly to start the podcast where it was sort of like he was he was challenged in a way, you know, and not necessarily because and not necessarily because of it. It's just it's not that often that you're going to be able to add a player of Drummond's capability at age 27 to a team for nothing. So that kind of stuff that that opportunity doesn't present itself often in the NBA. In other words, if you're the Lakers that you you probably wouldn't be going out there looking to make a move at that position, knowing you were going to get Anthony Davis back eventually and get a player that was going to be more impactful than Marcus all without giving up too much. So I, just, I think that a lot of what this whole Marcus all season has been has been completely due to circumstance and the narrative hasn't always reflected the circumstance. But one thing that he did change was he, he his tone in the post game last mm-hmm. night was totally different in that at first it was the, the defiance to an extent, the, the frustration, but you know, but not, not being out in the team or anything, but Hey, like this, this is difficult for me. That completely changed yesterday where he explicitly said, look, I am I am here. If it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, I don't care. Uh, I'm committed to this team. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I am. This is the level of play that you're going to see for me. And and I think that was reassuring to hear for anybody that, uh, you know, within the team that wasn't sure how he was going to respond. 
That's certainly the case, and I do want to get to that more in a, in a moment, but I do want to address some of the on-court stuff that I'm seeing with Mark that's a little different. Like, I 80% agree with your point, Mike. Uh, the one place is that he was, for example, he rolled to the basket last night more than any other game this season. He was he's being assertive and using his physicality in ways that he – was not doing earlier in the season. Now there's an argument to be made that he's 36 and he had a short turnaround too. And just because he wasn't with our team last season, doesn't mean that he isn't experiencing the same phenomenon of a short off season and what that means on an older player. So that certainly needs to be factored into the mix. That said, in my opinion, when you're a two shift guy, you have to like, you can pace yourself to a certain degree at a 30, 32 minute workload. If you're going 16 a night or 18 a night, like those needs to, those shifts need to really go. That was one thing about Dwight last year is that if Dwight was playing in the high 20s, you probably don't get that really consistent every night. I'm going to dominate you physically. But these last few games, Darius, he's been assertive. He's been overwhelming people in ways that I think is going to be, and I'm going to share this in the second half of the pod, that my kind of theory on on what we're trying to do with the team. But I think that physical dominance is is really a theme that we're trying to play into. And Mark has been more physical and assertive these last few games in a way that it's almost like him saying, oh, if, if my theory is right, and that's the direction that we're going in, it's almost his way of saying, hey, I got some of this too. It's interesting because... The point about the short turnaround and and all of that, and I think it can be a little bit of both, Pete. Like your your idea, like oh well, you're going to be a two shift player. Like you need to go, right? It's like it's go time from the second that you're on the floor. You're a starter, right? And so you're starting both halves, and so they're they like you just warmed up. You're fresh. You're not coming off of the bench where your legs are a little cold. Like it's go time. So. I agree with that. But the flip side of that is the idea of like, I compare Mark a little bit to Wes Matthews. To me, it's not a coincidence that both of them, both of them have sort of started to find their stride at about the same time in the season. And, and think of the commonalities between them, both of them, super competitive, both of them a bit older, right? Both of them, brand new team, like new roles trying to fit in to a certain extent and finding their stride. And to on and on a level, both of them also now are, are being slotted into roles that are closer to what they're familiar with over the course of their careers, right? Like Wes is now coming off of the bench, which, which is not what he's done. But the idea of, nah, man, like you're in the rotation, like we're going to shoot a lot of threes. You're going to go out there and you're going to defend the other team's best guy. And, and with Mark, it's just like, look, man, like there's not the safety valves of LeBron and AD right now. Things are going to go through you more. We need you to be more of a decision maker on the floor and 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 more assertive and more aggressive as well. And with Mark, Mike used a great word earlier when he said to a certain extent it was it was probably calculated the way that he was approaching things. Mark's such a cerebral player. It it would not surprise me if he had erred on the side of being more 
I don't want to use passive, but like, because it sort of implies soft, right? And he's not soft. Oh, as, not at all. As as a player, but there is a certain amount of hey, I'm going to err on the side of I'm going to do less, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to shoot less. I'm going to pass more. It's I'm assertiveness. Going to, it's yeah. assertiveness. Yeah. And, and lately, what we've been seeing is more of that. Oh, you need me to take six, eight, ten shots a game now. Like you need that for me and so i'm open okay if i feel comfortable stroking this three i'm just going to stroke it oh i'm in the paint two feet in the paint i'm shooting that little fade or i'm going up with with that layup i'm seeking out contact to try to get to to the foul line there have been a handful of plays over this recent stretch after he's been after 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 drummond was signed but now the heat but since he's been hurt that mark has taken a few more shots in the paint where earlier during the season, I felt like even if he was right there, he would have passed this like two months ago. These would have been passes. But instead, he's like, OK, well, I'm right here. I'm finishing. It doesn't matter that there's a guy that's open in the corner. Now, he's still going to seek out those plays as well. He had that great drop step middle. Mm hmm yesterday and then mm-hmm. he could have laid it up but he was sort of off balance and so mm-hmm. he pivoted out further and then sprayed to the corner to for the corner. open three mm-hmm. and there's just a certain amount of like i'm i'm in attack mode here like even that spin middle was like that's an attack move and yep. and yep. then the help collapses a little bit the open man is there and so he sprays it and there's been just an uptick of that type of stuff that is important for him. Mike, when you're saying that in the post-game comments, he said basically like, this is the sort of level of play that you can expect from me moving forward, whether it's 20 minutes a night or if it's five minutes a night, that's encouraging to me because this player, Pete and Mike, this player can help this team a great deal and is not as quote unquote replaceable on on a team especially this team where he's a spacing five a passing five a playmaking five and still these set these last several games an impact defender right like he is attacking block shots more he is challenging more shots in the paint and those are things that have waxed and waned some during the season and this last stretch he's just been just like you said more of a physical presence I've got a quick Wes Matthews aside, and then I want to get back to all these Mark Gasol points. And you guys have been on this early, but I, I, I already forget. This is, uh, this is, I already forget which one of you brought Wes up. So Wes Matthews net rating from the start of the season through March 1st, minus 1.5. Wes Matthews rating from March 1st to today, plus 12.3. I think that would surprise some people. The only net rating that's higher is LeBron in in the six games that he played. So Mike, it's, our, our defense yeah, is nuts, 13.3. man. Our defense is unbelievable. This is a whole other branch of the tree to talk about that we'll talk about in a future pod. But what we're doing on the defensive end without our main two guys is unbelievable. And Wes Matthews is on the floor on most of our during most of our runs. We're at our best when you can play like the William Tell Overture over our play. The dun, 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 dun. We're running up and down the court. We're, you know, like yeah. we're dominant dun, dun, in that. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. We're dominant yeah. in that way. And so Wes has been a huge part of that. 
anyway, uh, th- thoughts on Mark, please. Yeah. So, and, and just to wrap that up with Caruso is in a lot of those lineups next to West too. And you put two defenders like that next to each other um, and actually THT and Trez. So it shows you the bench unit is actually uh, really been getting it done um, a lot as well. And now though, now that Marcus Saul has taken the step up to transition back to him, I'll, I'll, I'll pair this with what you were saying, Pete, where you think we're about 80% together. And I'm, I think I kind of agree with that. It might be closer though. So there was the Marcus Saul, before LeBron or AD got hurt, which I think was effective, which was just reading what was needed of him, which wasn't a ton. Then there was the, you're shaking your head a little bit, but I, then, I like, I sort of agree. I don't entirely agree, but I sort of do. Okay. Well, that was a third of my point. So let's see when we get to the, through, through, the, <laughs> through 99, that was 33% of it. So Continue, you, please. You, you sort of disagreed the first third of it. Okay. But anyway, that was the first Marcus all. Then there was the, the AD goes down. Well, then Mark got sick um, at the like the end of February, of course, and didn't play much of March when LeBron came back. And then there was the Marcus Gasol post Drummond. And it, it's, it's almost been like three different. And mm-hmm. to me, mm-hmm. all of that is mental um, with him and him. And I think you can say somewhat of the same thing about Wesley Matthews to an extent. Uh, but but I'm, I'm peeling Mark off in this one where now like he is it's it's a mix of him of him needing to do more on the court and then mentally being challenged, whether it's internally or externally by Drummond. And that's where we're seeing this sort of full Gasol. And so it wasn't, I'm, I'm not giving him, I, I have to acknowledge Pete's point by saying that, yeah, he didn't just get there on his own when LeBron and AD went out. Cause there were those games where he was in there and LeBron and AD weren't out that Drummond wasn't signed yet. Um, and, and he, and he wasn't playing at that same level basically a week and a half ago as he was today. So that's that's just where I see that I think he and his mindset and all the external factors have been have been uh, lined up for that. That makes sense. And the only bit that I disagreed with is that I think Mark was walking on eggshells early in the season. And so he would what I call record scratch a lot of possessions where the ball would be moving like LeBron or AD would create some advantage. And Mark was the guy with the open shot on that possession. And Mark would like hesitate or pass that up. And there's a certain degree of assertiveness that I expected from Mark. Like Mark is a bad dude and Mark has been a bad, like I understand walking onto LeBron James's team and not wanting to, like you said earlier, like, Hey, I'm, I'm Marcus all right. Like, and everybody kind of bend their will to me. That said, his name does carry weight in the league. He is one of those guys that should feel very confident in the player that he is and and all of that. So maybe I'm not being compassionate enough in in that, but go ahead. Yeah. So well, I it's I don't think it's about compassion. I think that's those two things are related. I think that when he so when he was on the court to start the season with those guys, he had come off not his best playoffs series against Boston where he wasn't really playing on the court at the end of it. This weird truncated offseason, a built-in with no practice, with no real training camp. And so it's I think it's very, very difficult to have expected him to come in and be assertive, like you were saying, early in the season on a team that was still closing with Anthony Davis, that still basically was putting out the lineups that it had just used two months ago with KCP, with Caruso, with Kuzma. Like that was what Frank Vogel was going to earlier in the season. I I just I didn't expect, and maybe that's what it was. I was not expecting him to come in and be assertive Marcus Sol early and it and i'm not saying from a basketball standpoint you're it's, of course you're right like basketball wise and coaching wise you would say hey mark go be mark 
in this setting. Yeah. And what yeah. I'm saying is I didn't expect him to do that because of the circumstances of the team, of the season, of the championship, and of mm -hmm. how he played in the postseason. I thought it was going to take him some time uh, to, to, to get that level of assertiveness. That's fair. Can, can I just close this little, this little discussion on like this, this specific part, Mark in a way reminds me some of like a player like Caruso or even a player like, like Rondo, right? Whereas he is a giver within the context of the team and, and mm. he is a connector. And, mm -hmm. and I think if you go back to his Toronto days, the people who followed him closely in Toronto would also tell you that there was a bit of a hesitancy from him to, to like step forward into a more assertive offensive role. The, mm. the, the part I would tack on top of that is, is that Mark, we often talk about LeBron with like his supercomputer brain, right? And, and his deciphering of everything that's going around on the court and, and and calculating how a possession should play out. I I think Mark's Mark works similarly within his head, Pete. And to me, he might be thinking, and this is just a guess, but he might be thinking, I'm open for a reason. Like in the same way they say that a lot during broadcast, sure. right? Like there's a reason why you're open. There's a reason why no one is closing out on you. It's because you're the mark. It's not that though. It's like, that is a, a symptom of what I'm talking about. So like, this is what I wrote down Mark's positions, right? To in his first shift, the first play of the game, what happens on the first play of the game? He runs a little side ball screen with Dennis. They readjust the screening angle and they're perfectly in sync. That's one of the things that I look for is when new guys play with each other, does the big do the, the big and the guard do their reactions at the same time that matters and that's like high level playoff stuff when the windows of opportunity shrink you have to be more in sync and so seeing that between mark and dennis two new guys that hadn't played before that's like yes that's exactly the type of thing i'm looking for mark gets open as a result of that has a little jump stop 10 footer or so goes in and out chris boucher gets the rebound mark walks over and just manhandles him rips it out of his hands kicks it over to kuz kuz hits the wing three kicks off the scoring right then he uh a, a couple plays later he rolls hard to the rim and gets a layup then he gets a little fadeaway jumper at the elbow toward the end of the shot clock he gets a put back and then to cap it off he hits a three from about 28 feet and he he's backpedaling and just goes boom right and he's like fired up there's a, that ship that you're talking about he was mfing he he was just oh, like you you mfers think i got it like it was sort of that how great is that how can you not love a guy that's built like that right but that that level of two middle fingers in the air that's part of mark gasol and he hadn't played like that at any point during the season this being challenged and being the competitor that he is, to me, that unlocks, like, this is the MFR that, like, that's Mark Gasol. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Frank Vogel got one of those good problems now that we're going to have to talk about. All right, let's zoom out for a second. And uh, beyond Mark, who's been playing wonderfully as we articulated in, in the first half, um, the construction of the team and what is it that we are going for? I have a theory on that. Um, I may be wrong on this, but I feel this is one of those things like I'm pretty sure this is what they're trying to do. 
is in the absence of LeBron and AD, it's really revealed a lot of weaknesses of players, right? Of course, that we always talk about how they're the the shapeshifters that are able to do anything, cover up. So we've seen like Dennis's decision making is is more problematic now, right? Um, the lack of shot creation, Caruso, some of uh, the things he does on offense. This is that's going to happen, right? And in the insistence on we are going to start on Andre Drummond and they know that in the short term starting Drummond instead of Mark is a downgrade in my opinion for this version of the team with no LeBron and no AD because LeBron Mark's brilliance is in organizing the troops or so much of it is right that's also a big part of LeBron's and that's why I think there's a bit of a redundancy that we'll get to in a bit but what I think they're going for is oppressive athleticism the kind of guys that you cannot keep up with uh if you look at that starting lineup of dennis kcp lebron ad and drummond think about racing them think about like you and four of your guys trying to get across the court from one end to the other, as fast as they do. Dennis Schroeder is one of the fastest guys in the league, defensively even, right? Um, KCP flies up and down the court. LeBron is a stampede. AD and Drummond are fast for their position, but it's more that they are so big while being that fast that on their own, they're amongst the most oppressive in that lineup. But as a unit, running with them... I know this sounds so simple and we talk so much about like the technique of basketball, but there is this, like, how did we win that game six against Miami? We were a blistering fire. Like you could not keep up with us in that game. And I think that's what we're trying to replicate is that style of plays when we're at, at our best where LeBron is kind of the command center that takes care of all of the the decisions or a, a vast majority of them. But to create a type of game where it's so fast paced, so oppressive, so flying around that by the third quarter, Mike, you played the the highest competitive sports of all of us as a soccer player, right? I would love to hear your thoughts on the conditioning aspect of high level sports and how much, because I think that is a, that is what we're trying to play into, which is why Mark as brilliant as he is, does not fit that particular style. Yeah. So I think it's a, all of the attack that you're talking about, I think to me, a lot of that is about defense and about the defensive end of the court. Cause at this level, and this is part of where you take for granted your offense with LeBron and AD. But when you can, when you can put that kind of pressure on an opponent on the defensive side of the court, that is sustainable throughout any matchup that's sustainable against any team you're going to play in the Western conference, no matter how well they're playing, it's sustainable against, uh, let's say that you get all the way to the finals and the nets are there that attack style uh, on defense and that, that mentality and that mindset, I think that's part of what fr- appeals to Frank about it. And with what you were saying just about sports and conditioning, conditioning you know, you, a, you, you do have to have a certain baseline level of athlete. And I think that's what you're getting at with Shooter, with KCP, you know, with, with Drummond and AD comparable to other bigs. And certainly LeBron, you know, perhaps the greatest athlete of the last X amount of years in any sport, um, just in terms of pure athletic dominance yeah I, I totally buy into that and where where mark fits in or doesn't is something is a point that you've made all year pete 
and and even now with this with this Marcus all who is being a little bit more attacking I think that he you could you could get by with that too you know that team like he it just would be a little bit different but Drummond's level of athleticism does stand out amongst almost any other center that you're gonna because think about the centers in the west right now if, if it's Jokic right if it's Nurkic if it's DeAndre Ayton uh, if it's uh, Zubats right some of these uh, who let's see who are we forgetting Darius in the um, the top few teams in the West, so like Chris Tapps, you know, Drummond is a better, faster, bigger athlete than all of those guys. Now, those guys have other advantages, but that that to me is intriguing. And I think it fits into what Frank Vogel sees on a basketball court as being a, a, impactful. And I don't know, man, maybe there's some maybe there's some factors just that, hey, this guy to get him here, you had to have a certain expectation for minutes. And but it does it does fit into that athletic philosophy. Yeah, I think the last point you made, Mike, about sort of like the unsaid promises or the unsaid recruiting pitches that have been hinted at, but we'll never know because we're not flies on the wall. Um, I think that stuff is playing a part in some of this. Um, To Pete's point, though, the Lakers had a formula last season. They know that formula worked. And I think that they've been towing the line a little bit with the roster construction this year. And we've talked about that over the course of this season on this pod multiple times, that this team is not the same as last year's team. There is sort of, um, they're not as imposing physically. And the idea, Pete, that you brought brought up is sort of shifting back to that idea of of we're going to be a more imposing group. We're going to be more physical. We're going to be. And that physicality is, I think, to Mike's point, which I think is is a great one, is going to be established defensively. And then we're going to transition from defense to offense better than any other team in the league and overwhelm you in transition and in scramble situations and in early offense situations where we're getting layups and dunks and you can't stop that. Let's t- let's take this out of the theoretical for just one moment if I can interject. Last night's game was an example of that. We're yep. missing our main guys athletically, but so were they, right? So you're you're we watched a, a game between two teams that were down in terms of important guys on their team, especially on offense in a comparable sense. Right. And the Lakers, the way they won that game, it's not just that they won that game. They overwhelmed them. We were everywhere. Obviously our shooting was just lights out, but that first play where Mark set the tone and was like, we are going to physically dominate you in this game. The Lakers physically dominated the Raptors in that game. And I think that that speaks to the idea that that is the mentality that they're going for. Listen to Mike, you talk to Vogel every day, right? How many times this year has he said to you, either in a post game, usually this would be a post game, but even like in the day after a game where he would say something like, that's, that's Lakers basketball, right? Like, like we played Lakers basketball and you know, you know exactly what he's talking about when he says that. He he means he is smothering like this team smothered you defensively and then got out on the break and and just smashed you in the face over and over again in transition off of the defense. 
Yeah, and he, and he was kind of pissed off after the Clipper game, as were some of the other players, about them not playing like that. And I think there's a little bit of the Clippers came out so aggressively and at 12.30 p.m. and they hit their first five shots that I think that took a little bit of the heart out and so we didn't see the typical Laker effort and energy yeah. that's been there lately, even though the defense came around actually playing pretty well by the end of the game. But it didn't. And I think this is part of going into roster construction with Frank involved to an extent with Rob Palenka. And they don't have the type of roster that you would say is going to just be be there to beautifully execute a system with shooters all over the place and spacers. And I think they know that. And that's I think right. they built it intentionally because of it. And so I think that's why Frank yes. is even more adamant about this is the style that this team needs to play to win. And I, I've made this point so many times. I don't want to bore uh, everybody listening, but some of the system teams out there right now uh, that are having regular season success. And you can point this year to Utah. You can point last year to a Milwaukee. Uh, there are teams over the years and there are other teams this year. And I, I think that Frank, having been in playoff battles against LeBron, and then certainly last year confirming this, I think that he and Rob Palenka have a, a different idea about how to win that ultimate game. And, and to them, it's can you get a bunch of elite athletes to really buy into this scheme and this style and this mentality where they are, despite being the mo perhaps the most talented team uh, in, in Brooklyn's in that conversation now, they can be the most aggressive team, the most energetic team, the most attacking team. And that's not usually easy, especially when you're also the oldest team. And they are by like LeBron's the fifth oldest player in the league. Gasol's the sixth. They've uh, they've got veterans all over the place. And they and yet a lot of times they're they're because of this style and this system. They're the team that punches first. And, and that's uh, that's a champion. But, but Mike, that exactly speaks to like we're not as old as we were last year. Right. All of a sudden, we got a couple 27 year olds in in the rotation between Dennis, Dennis for Danny, just putting aside skill sets and things like that. Dennis is the younger, faster, fresher player than Danny. Right. Uh, Montrez Harrell at 27 versus Dwight Howard at 34, 35. Right. We've I, I think that there is. And then Drummond coming in essentially for Mark, right? There's a common theme yeah, there that Mark, but like Mark and West coming in too, though, like as as veterans last year from so yeah, so you didn't get like a ton younger, but I, I hear I hear you. For sure, but but that's kind of what I'm saying though, is like the decision to go so heavily toward Drummond when Mark can obviously play. I think that that is exactly the rationale why. It might be wrong, right? Like and and that's the thing that Darius like Mark is too good to not play. And in that, if the athletic, and it, it seems like, you know, we're on the same page in, in this respect, if that is true, that that is the philosophy of the team, within that paradigm where Mark does not jump high or run fast, but he's still so good, D, like, he's got to play. How can he fit in within, if we go to that style, where does Marcus Gasol fit in? Man, that's a good question. It... It really is like there is there is nothing that's happened this season that leads me to to believe that Frank Vogel feels very comfortable playing Marcus All and Montrez Harrell together. Like I I have not looked at the lineup data, but I've pretty much watched every second of Lakers basketball this season. I would be shocked if they have played even 65 seconds together. 
So that's the thing. That's not an athletic lineup, right? Like part of what makes Trez athletic, it's all relative to position, right? Trez at the four is not one of the more, not one of the faster, better athletes. Trez at the five is though, right? And so, and then you've got Wes in there. The thing about Wes, Wes is not like, Wes is, Wes is pretty fast, but that dude's motor is incredible. He plays hard every single second that he's on the floor. So that has that same effect, right? And so anyway, like, exactly to that point like he said that they can play together but i it doesn't fit within the what i think the philosophy of the team is yeah i just don't i don't want to overthink it too much i don't think that it that mark or whoever has to fit directly into the overall team style the the overall team style is there as a macro piece for the way that you drive your lineup and the the philosophy of how guys play but within a certain game Sometimes you just throw that out the window because because who cares? Because you're not getting good shots on a certain night or you're not executing defensively or somebody gets in foul trouble or somebody gets hurt or AD doesn't play in back-to-backs for the first X couple of times he's back or LeBron doesn't play in back-to-backs when he's back in May and or you get to the postseason and you're still ramping up minutes. Let's say that one of the guys is out longer. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of these situations that present themselves where I think that The other part of this is when they acquired Drummond, Mark wasn't playing at the level that he is playing now. And not that that, again, those two things don't have to be related. That's just a talent grab. You take them, you bring them in. This is the plan. We're going to put them into the lineup. It's going to fit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But stuff's going to happen. That's all I'm saying. Stuff is going to happen. And and we know now, not only is Marcus all committed to stay ready, much like Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee were last year, much like Markeith Morris was, it's time to just all galvanize, rally around the flag, and try to win the title. And there's there mm-hmm. there have to be spots where Gasol helps you more than other guys. And maybe, maybe Drummond, let's say the Lakers match up with the Nuggets, and let's say Drummond is just having problems with Jokic, and they're not playing, they're just not playing well. Mm-hmm. Okay, guess what? Mark Gasol, you're starting next game. Let's go. Yeah. It, like I'm not, there isn't anybody on the roster aside from LeBron and AD that I'm worried about in terms of minutes and role and play, because you just, you can't do that. you got to try to win the title and you have to, you have to play the guy that is going to help the most on that specific day in that specific rotation, starter bench, whatever. And that's going to mean sacrifice. Yeah. It's not only going to mean sacrifice, Pete, it's, it's, it's going to take a certain amount of why are we here? And, mm-hmm. and stepping yeah. away a little bit from the me, 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 what I want, what works best for me too. Yeah. And like Vogel's been here about a year and a half, never had a conversation with him. I've, I've been in some scrums with him and listened to him talk and seen his post game zooms now this season. If there's a thing I trust about Vogel pretty much implicitly it's his idea. It's the idea that he's going to communicate and that he's going yeah. to make the best decision that he thinks is right. Right. And so let's go back to the sort of speculative nature of our conversations around how Drummond ended up in Los Angeles in, in the first place. And in theory, let's imagine he was promised a starting spot, like at least at the beginning. I have no doubts in my mind speaking to what Mike just sort of implied, right? That if it comes right down to it and it's time to say, you know what, Marcus Gasol is the better matchup 
or the better player, even overall in this specific context, I don't think it's going to matter. And Mark is just going like, I don't think whatever was said before to Drummond, right? Mm -hmm. In theory, because this is speculative again. I don't think it's going to matter. I think Frank will look down the bench or he'll have a conversation with all those guys and say, look, one-on-one with, with Drummond, we're going with the other guy. One-on-one with mm-hmm. Mark, you're up, right? And- I think, you, yes, yes, you're 100% right. And that's exactly why when Vogel keeps getting asked questions like, oh, you know, about Drummond starting, is he still going to start? Mark's balling out. What's going to happen here? He says, yes, we want to give him a chance to get up to speed with what we do. And if everybody buys into that mentality, it behooves the Lakers to give Drummond a fair shake and a fair chance to get caught up. He has not been with the team all season. He has not been in this style of play. He has been not on, he has not been on a team that has been playing for a championship ultimately as their goal. Andre Drummond has talents and he has deficiencies, just like every other player on this team, particularly the role players. But in order to get the most out of him, he's going to need to play in games, get his conditioning up, become be able to be, he doesn't walk in as that athlete that's oppressive, right? He has he hasn't played competitive basketball in nearly eight weeks, and in some ways hasn't played this kind of competitive basketball. Again, playing we're building toward a title team type basketball in in his NBA career. There's a certain amount of conditioning that takes, and he's got to play minutes. He's got to play. There's no way to replicate that in any season, much less one where you're practicing so little. So, I think Mike that even with Mark balling out. And Mark obviously being too good to just be a DNP, even in that context, Drummond needs to get 30 to 32 minutes a game to start out, even or to build up to that point, even at the detriment of the team and at the, of the short term, because that is what gives us every viable option going into the playoffs as, oh, you match up better against this team, you're the guy. You match up against better against that player, you're the guy in this situation. Drummond can't do that if he doesn't get minutes. Totally right. Frank Vogel said so explicitly last night that he said that exact thing. It's like, yeah, so we need Drummond to play now. We need to integrate him and that's that's right now the new most important thing because they, again, are playing for the championship. They're not playing as much for the standings, which is something that uh, Pete, I think we're going to do a future pod just on because that's fascinating. Uh, just sure. looking at yes. what's going on in the West and all of these. Uh, look at what Dallas is doing. Look at what Denver is doing. Uh, I'll, I'll just stop there before I go in a whole rabbit hole. But yeah, that's what I think. That's the internal understanding. And I just don't. I don't think that. I think we can walk and chew gum to a certain extent by finding ways for Gasol to continue to be impactful in five minutes, in ten minutes, on the occasion, in twenty minutes. And and still get Drummond up to speed. So it doesn't have to be one or the other. And by the way, another guy that if if uh, that Montrez, he doesn't have to play 25, 30 minutes. Frank already did that to him or a couple of times earlier in the season. And this is that's what happens when you have a roster that's this talented. Um, different guys are going to have to sacrifice at different times and they're going to have to be able to deal with it. The interesting thing is, is that how Drummond helps the Lakers is still a theory. And we don't have data on that yet. 
And part of the process of assimilating someone into your roster is getting that data and figuring out if they actually can assimilate at all. That's right. Right. And so the idea or where they do and where they don't like it's not a binary thing. Right. There are going to be some things that work out the way that you hoped. Other things that are a little bit different than how you theorized it in the first place. Exactly. And just to be clear too, the ways in which you want a player to fit in, those are the most important ways. Right. And so there could be a bunch of things that Drummond does well that fit into to the team. But in a certain but maybe in a narrower scope or in a certain role, those aren't necessarily the things you need from him. But those are the things you learn with the types of reps that both you guys, Pete and Mike, were just describing, right? And you do not learn that. You do not get that data. You you cannot do that information gathering without actually going into the field and, and letting him out there to do his thing. And it could be painful for a little bit. Like we go back to Drummond's first shift, which I thought was a, a, a good shift and fairly impactful, right? There were some things where I was just like, oh, there's the Andre Drummond I know, right? Like mm-hmm. in and mm-hmm. not in a good way. And then there were just like the, mm-hmm. oh, look at this too. This is the dude where I watch some of this stuff on tape and I'm just like, oh yeah, look at that. Right. Like that, look at the that double jump on the block. Yes. Like he contested Giannis, hit the ground, goes back up. Not a lot of guys can make that play. And then look at the deep, like look at the deep stance in 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 the drop. Look at the back pedal, right? When he's in drop coverage. Look at the stab with with the off arm. Look at the wide frame. Right. There are a bunch of things where I was just like, ah, yes, yes, that. Right. And the like this is a philosophical point now that just comes to like watching a ton of basketball over the years that I know that both of you guys would, would appreciate. And and I think the listeners would, would too is, is that over the years you just learn like these are the, this is the push and pull that happens during any given game, during a possession over the course of, of a playoff series where you feel it out. And and the best coaches find ways to optimize dudes and put them in positions to succeed, right? And the drivers of that are your star players. They are your superstar guys. They are the foundational core core pieces. But all of the other guys are that that sort of orbit around those superstars. Those are the guys who you have to try to find the key ways where they can help your specific team in a specific matchup against uh, against an opponent, both at the team structure and at the individual level that helps them impact the game in, in a positive way. And there's no better evidence of that than what we saw during the playoffs last season, where series to series, the only players who were totally not impacted were LeBron and AD. Everyone else saw yep. matchups where they could get get in and matchups where they were not as useful. Like even THT, where Frank said, do you know what series I think I can throw you out there in? That's right. The Houston series. Right. And I'm going to give you some run in a couple of games because I think in this specific matchup against these specific dudes, the asks that we're going to make of you, you can do them. 
and you're going to succeed right. at those. And, and, and we're going to make sure that we optimize you in this narrow lane and you're going to ride right. in that lane. And he did the same thing to Danny Green within the context of, yeah, yeah, maybe guess what, Danny, maybe you're not closing these games here. Maybe it's Alex and KCP or maybe it's Rondo and Caruso. Right. But the and Dwight, you're in, you're out. JaVale, you're out. Right. And over the course of the playoffs, he was just like, Keith, you're starting and all of that stuff. And he's emboldened to do that even more this year because it worked last year and they won a title. And, and that's it, had they had it not worked, then that's that gets back to that. Well, the coaches sit down in the offseason and, you know, they all they all have their opinions on what they should have could have would have done. And maybe we should have kept this guy in a consistent spot. So he knew he was closing every time. And you have all those conversations. And I think that mm -hmm. they don't have to do that this year. I think that they, I think that's been baked in and that's been learned. And I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing for this coming postseason. And I think that that means that every role player, Mark Gasol included, will be in that orbit that you were talking about, Darius. And uh, Mark has certainly made his case over the last few games. Uh, that'll do it for this one. You've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.